Hi everybody, you're listening to another edition of Real Rap. This is the newest episode in the new year. I welcome you all to 2020, which is the year we are existing in at the moment. You might be wondering, what the hell am I listening to? Well, I'm going to tell you. You're listening to a best of of the Cassavetes and Cassavetes series that we did, focusing on the career of John Cassavetes and Nick Cassavetes. Now, you might be also be asking yourself, what is real rap? Well, I'll tell you, and I'll say it right now out of my mouth, in through the microphone and through the airwaves to you. We are a movie podcast formerly focused on the careers of really horrible directors, and now we're turning our focus on the greats. Uh, and the Cassavetes and Cassavetes series was a split between leaving behind such awful directors as Mel Gibson, Ron Howard. Who else did we do? <laughs> John Favreau. And uh, we we moved on to people such as Mike Nichols, Elaine May. I really, really encourage you to listen to those Mike Nichols and Elaine May episodes, particularly the episode on Mikey and Nikki, which I am very, very proud of. I really appreciate you listening in, to, uh, in, our, in this past year of t- 2019. Look forward to being in the 20s with y'all. And uh, Bennett and I share a strong feeling of uh, warmth and gratitude for you listening to us, laughing with us, and, uh, you know, not being afraid to... Uh, Go outside. Think about. Think outside the box a little. You know, we've never. I've always said uh, to myself, you know, in my in the depths of my despair and it's dark at night. Uh, hey, you know, when the checks bounce, when the <laughs> when the operation goes south, there'll always be movies like uh, Chef and um, movies like the fantasy fake Lord of the Rings that Ron Howard made to uh, pick you up when the going gets tough. Anyway, uh, I'm going to keep, you know, I've been going on too long here. You know, I'm a podcast host. I love to talk. I love to chat. I love being on the mic. Um, So I'm going to, I'm going to shut up here as it were and uh, give you these, give you a look back in time at the Cassavetes on Cassavetes, the highs and lows of that series enjoy everyone thanks for listening happy new year happy holidays peace uh hi ladies and gentlemen you're listening to real rap a publicly funded uh, radio station by the state of texas um a court ordered agreement as well between bennett and i uh yep. bennett um hi uh, hey here we meet again um <laughs> I think Can't there's say only, it's a pleasure. Yeah, no. Wish I could. Wish I could, but actually, wish I couldn't. We have 244 of these legally left to do. So let's just get this one over with as quickly as possible. What's on the top of the docket today? Uh, so we have. Uh, okay, is this you're ca- already starting with the attitude. Let's just cut the shit, okay? Um, I'm gonna pretend this is fun, and I just, just. Bear with me. Okay. You were saying? Uh, hey, folks. We got John <laughs> Cassavetti's final film, Love Streams, and Nick Cassavetti's, I think it's his most recent film, The Other Woman. Is I'm that, sure is he's got enough? more in the pipeline, Bennett. Uh, let's start with, uh, I'll flip a coin. Pring! Uh, what is Heads? Um, love Streams, I guess. Okay. Love, stream, love Streams, it is. Uh, what's this movie about? Really? Yeah. Damn. I mean, you you don't even get that like momentary joy of like oh, just ooh. fucking erotic fireworks going no, on. Just, just makes me uneasy. I don't know. Mm. As you know, I'm a guy with a fucking pencil point of a comfort zone, so it's really. Um, uh, I guess I never considered it in terms of like I don't know dangerous recreation. Wrong. Oh yeah, that's why I hated driving. You know, that's why I don't drive anymore. I haven't driven in six years because driving used to just fill me with such terror and dread, you know? Like, the idea that people like speeding, the idea that, like, the is, like, into driving, like, 150 miles Oh, my God, hour. yeah. I remember him one time talking about the movie Point Break. He was talking... The movie Point Break, have you seen it? 
It's like with Tom Cruise or something. No, uh, Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves. Okay. Patrick Swayze is talking about how much he wants to fucking die surfing. And he's like, yeah, man, it's not a tragedy to die doing what you love. And one time looked me in the face and like earnestly said, like, yeah, man. And that's how I feel about like just like driving real fast, man. If I got in like a car accident going like 160 in some sort of like sports car. Fuck. I just remember being like, yeah, I don't feel that way. I don't I don't quite understand. I mean, like, I guess if I got to die, like it would be cool to like have it be doing something like I like doing. But I'm not a I don't know. I'm not about chasing the thrill, man. <laughs> like, like, yeah, I mean, I like. I like cooking. I don't want to die by like having my head catch on fire. I don't want to like get my head stuck in a fucking sous vide bag. Yeah. I don't want to like, <laughs> I don't want to cut all my fingers off. I uh-huh. uh, like talking with my friends, but I would hate if a leisurely conversation and them turned to an awful fight resulting in them murdering me. Salty and fucked up our dads. <laughs> I love watching movies, but if I choked on like a pretzel nugget and died, that would really be right. well. I love watching movies, but if the fucking silver screen tipped over and crushed me, I wouldn't be that jazzed. <laughs> oh, could you tell me more about this fucking giant man and oh aviator? Thought you had squid ink, Thought you had numerous squid ink cocktails. Yeah, more than one. He said he comes up to me and he's got a big baggy robin's egg blue dress shirt on which tons of the guys there's a lot of guys that come into the bar they're either weathered businessmen that are like probably super powerful and say shit like my fucking bitch wife's big old uh curtains you know need to be vacuumed and then there's like the precocious young guys that want to be these people and are assumed to be in positions of power that are like Jägermeister and DMT, baby. And uh, this guy was one of the younger ones, and he came and he's like, puts his one hand on the bar and is just like, like, what cocktails do you have that have squid ink in them? Was he fucking I, with you? Was it? A I just said no, man. No, <laughs> no, we don't have that. No, he wasn't. He seemed, and when he nobody was around, he wasn't like showing off for his friends. Completely alone, then looks at me, turns his head away, like. Like, as if I said we don't have Miller Lite. Uh-huh. Well, just, not to deal in stereotypes, but I feel like that sort of person is incapable of, like, irony. Like, wouldn't come in and, like, come mm. up with something, like, to say, like, you've squid ink in a cocktail. Yeah, something about fucking 6'2", guys. Not ironic. <laughs> I, mean, I mean more I like the baggy no, pressure. <laughs> aspiring to be a guy that comes into the bar talking about his wife's freckled danglers. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you would think he would come in and be like, can I just get a bullet Manhattan or fucking seven and seven? <clears throat> like those weird fucking meme drinks that have no meaning to these people. They just say the words. Mm-hmm. Um, I might be getting a little esoteric here. And then he just says, all right, then what, something smoky. And I was like, What'd okay, well, we could do a scotch or mezcal. Or... Mezcal. Something. Uh, and I'm at this point, it's just like, uh, dude, let's both just end this. I'll make you a fucking j- just go sit down. I'll I'll make something for your big fucking baby ass. Anyway, that's a poisonous moment in my life. <laughs> Have we said this before on the podcast? Can you imagine fucking wearing a suit and tie all the goddamn time? Oh my good god, good lord! You had to wear a, a, like a shirt and tie at the Hawthorne, right? Oh, good fucking god! Do not remind me. I would basically be Even in tears by the time I got to fucking work because I had to fucking iron that shit. I had to tie him a fucking tie. I had to have a clip. I had to have p- p- pressed shirts that I was soiling every fucking day. Pants that I was ripping in the crotch. Soiling constantly, I would imagine at work. You're dealing with like fruit. You're dealing with all sorts of yeah. colored liquids. Stain it red <laughs> wine constantly. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I, I don't miss having to wear a shirt and tie. Uh, the whole idea of not only were people wearing fucking fedoras and like full on <laughs> suits all the time, they were also at the same. They were also simultaneously chain smoking and like yeah, spilling drinks chainsaw. all over themselves. Sweating, Sweating. yeah, like filling the brim of their hat with. Here. in unair conditioned rooms <laughs> yeah. um so something about that bedroom scene when they're like talking and then they're like leaning away from each other it's like you're both seeing them react to the things that one person is saying and you're also seeing the way that like richard is reacting to his own jokes whereas in the notebook people will say things to each other 
and it's action reaction from another actor uh like reaction from the other actor and then rebuttal and then it's all serving this one emotional beat of like we're in love or you can't be with him but i know you want to and the conflict between the characters is i want one thing you want another thing whereas you know you would think richard for richard richard forced and genie genie is a prostitute would want to have sex and they both want to do that and they're both like looking to have fun and yet they express things not through wanting different things but through their expression being completely different between doing something you want or doing an action or an action happening whereas the notebook is all action faces is dysfunction and confusion in trying to talk to each other or that there's an event every time you react or have a disagreement or whereas in the notebook the event is something we lead up to where there's like a height of i don't know an emotional moment that has been engineered yeah i mean i I mean perhaps repeating myself a little bit but like the notebook is a movie where you could predict every line before it comes out of the person who's about to say its mouth effectively. Um, mm-hmm. The entire dynamic with um, her parents, you know, stuff like he's trash, like, I don't know, lines like that. It's, it's, it's chock-a-block full of really, of lines that could have come out of um, any of 100,000 other films. Oh, speaking of um, making your first million, can I relate? Uh, I tweeted about this a few weeks ago when it first happened, the most insane um, interaction oh I've ever had with a human being. Let's I'm going to take it. a page out of, yeah, I'm going to take a page out of Hugh from Shadow's book and I'm going to kind of sell it like it just happened to me. So if you can cut all of this out, I'm going to say something along the lines. Okay. Of, oh, yeah. Well, you folks look like a refined audience. I want to tell you some refined jokes. So a crazy thing happened to me on, on the way over here. Um, so this guy who works with, uh, let's call him um, Mike Bleep, uh, a guy who works with him came over to our house a couple weeks ago. He's he's one of those guys who like his his whole the degree to which he thinks about politics in any sense is like, well, I make fifty five thousand dollars a year and I, I I trade stocks, so like I got to be on the side of the business king, am I right? Um, yeah. So. He's been in our house for, like, a couple hours, and, like, honestly, like, it's become clear to him, I think, through, like, one thing that came up in passing that, like, I'm not on his side politically, but we're generally, like, hitting it off. Like, I don't know, like, I, I think I, like, bummed a cigarette from him. We were generally just, like, whatever. I, I'm i com- I'm compartmentalizing in a way that I'm not, like, fully comfortable with, but it's, like, whatever. I, like, I'm not gonna tell this guy to leave my fucking house. Right. You gotta, at some point, navigate life. I, I have to, yeah, I have to just, you know, put certain things to bed so as to not cause a scene in front of you know, my roommates. And we are sitting talking. Somehow the movie Home Alone comes up in conversation. I think we were talking about how The Grinch had just surpassed it as the highest earning Christmas movie of all time. Can I stop you and there I said, for one moment? Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like everyone's bringing up The Grinch all the time. Yeah. Well, this this new one is quietly making like three hundred million dollars in the domestic box office. Yeah. I'm probably still in a ton of theaters. <laughs> it's the highest earning holiday movie ever. Damn, like a silent atomic bomb slipped under our pillows at night. Yeah, fucking. I'm sorry. Anyway, like a like a clammy wet hand clutching your flaccid your night. <laughs> You're, you're for some reason sopping wet, sleeping, flaccid dick. Your little bouffant lamotte cock, and I mean that in the sense that it's both the same color and consistency of bouffant lamotte, yeah. and it's also it, weirdly like moist. <laughs> um. So anyway, we were talking about Home Alone. So I, I think Home Alone came up because we were talking about the Grinch's um, runaway box office success, and I said. You know, I've actually never seen either of the Home Alone movies. Mm-hmm. This guy responds, wow, really? I said, yeah, you know, I mean, I've, I've seen the big scenes. Like, I know Trump has a cameo in the second one. It was as if I had pissed on his 
patent leather boots, Shane. He immediately fucking exploded at what? me. Oh, there it is again. Trump, you got him on the brain. Here's proof he's winning. Proof he's winning. You can't stop fucking thinking about him. He's, he has nothing to do with this conversation. He's not even in the movie. You're just, you're making this up. And Jeff Shapiro, a guy I don't generally like see eye to eye with, really actually almost came to my defense going like, he is in the movie. Uh, I like <sighs> screaming, literally like full on in my own home, raising his voice as an understatement at me, going, "Of course, I do. all of you, you're all the same. You got him on the brain. It has nothing to do with this. And you're bringing it up." And I was like, I, "I mentioned in passing that this is all I know about the sequel to this movie that he was in it, and that clip made the rounds, my friend." <laughs> oh my I, lord! Like, I. I, I realized in, like, trying to relate this experience that it's, like, describing a dream. Like, you cannot, you know, communicate the intensity of it. I, I, I'll just say, like, it is the most batshit, insane, inexplicable turn I've ever seen a conversation take. And I used to work in an elementary school with <laughs> kindergarten students who are, you know, want to say wild things and take things off in, like, crazy directions and mm -hmm. sort of deal in non sequiturs. I spent most of middle and high school volunteering at that uh, assisted living home near me for people with like advanced dementia so mm -hmm. you're, you're used to hearing things that go nowhere and mean nothing right and i i've lived my life in such a way that i'm often incoherent and i'm often surrounded by other incoherent people and i have <laughs> never in my entire fucking life seen a conversation take such a fucking inexplicable bizarre turn for the Whoa. worst it was the definition of the fucking triggered conservative uh, like it's it, it fucking insanity. I, like, what? I maybe maybe give the guy the benefit of the doubt that he was like high as fuck, but like I, I just I cannot imagine. <laughs> and then later on, he was talking about um. So he so later his, on, meaning he just stuck around after making a scene. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, yeah. And hey, I'm not I'm not the type to be like, all right, now get the, get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> You're like, all right, um, well, I'll take that with a grain of salt. What else you got? No, I, I, I really just, I, I really, like, speaking to a brick wall, just tried to be like, look, man, I don't know what the, I don't know what the fuck you're so angry about. Like, I just, I, I, I deign to mention that Donald Trump is in this movie. <laughs> made no sort of, made no sort of judgment against Donald Trump as a person. Like, damn, and he's you like might have, from what I said, just think I was a guy who was cataloging Donald Trump's cameos in films. But then he also was talking about, like, the apartment where he lives that he rents from uh, two women who are, like, a couple. And he talked about all the books they left in his apartment. He was like, yeah, you know, I had to just fucking, like, turn over all like, the Hillary and, and Stephen Colbert books there. Stephen Colbert was how I pronounce it. Like, mm -hmm. can you imagine being, like, offended by the idea of Stephen Colbert? Like, the definition of, like, the fucking, <laughs> like, milk toast, earnest, conservative left. I don't yeah. know. Like, yeah. I, or earnest Christian left. I, I really. The I, bow tie left. Yeah, the fucking yeah, the, the the giving the teacher an apple school yeah, of the, the left. suitcase has a backpack left. I, I've said all the time that like I wish there are like there are interactions I wish I could have like committed to like tape so as to like mm -hmm. prove to the people involved like yeah this is how ridiculous this was. This thing, man, uh, it loses some impact on retelling. But if if you don't believe that, that that liberals are the ones who truly are, excuse me, conservatives are the one who truly have a thin skin and are looking for opportunities to be offended. Uh, look no further than this interaction I had on my way to recording this podcast. And that man's name is... Um, I, I just wanted to relate one more amazing joke from Faces. Uh, I think this is during one of the, the... This is probably like an hour in when the when the parties are really ripping and roaring and Freddie... No, it's not Freddie Draper. It's, an, it's a guy who looks like an older version of Freddie Draper is kind of back in the picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mixed he, him up. He looks kind of like... If Valet they had waited like 10, 15 years before filming. It's like if Freddie Draper was actually the, the yeah, same age was, as Forrest. Yeah. Um, he, he says, hey, you like this suit? It's Sears Sucker. Sears made it. You're looking at the sucker who bought it. <laughs> <laughs> it's full of fucking ball busting and jokes Holy like that. fucking shit. I have a quote from Cassavetes on Cassavetes. Uh, Ray Carney says, While Hollywood was devoted to presenting smooth or polished performances, Cassavetes was convinced that mistakes and embarrassing moments contributed to the truth. And then John Cassavetes says, When a scene plays awkwardly or something goes wrong, I don't criticize it. 
change it or call cut. I look at it and say, all right, it's not exactly the right reading, but life doesn't always have the right meaning. We stutter, we stammer through life. We sometimes say things we're sorry for later. We make fools of ourselves constantly. In life, this is frowned upon, but in a movie, this is revealing. The mistakes you make in your own life, in your own personality, are assets on the film. So if I can just convince them somebody to not to clean themselves up and not to be someone they're not and just be like what they are in a given circumstance, that's all that acting is to me. There is no personal embarrassment to participating with people that behave out of keeping with society's rules and regulations. You know, I may not have ever had sex, but I know what love is. I did not really understand what this movie was about other than to like one prolonged sort of uh, tearjerker the body horror of having her eyes get like continually more red and disgusting and her like skin just get more pale and we're just watching her die in between like uh, uh, Jason Mraz and uh, I don't know covers of the talking heads that are slower versions of the song that are supposed to make you sad yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know, really. I, I don't want to shit on this movie for being a movie that exists just to make you cry, because obviously there's a lot of like great like melodramas and stuff from the whole like history of mm-hmm. cinema. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about a movie that has... I kid you not, would you say there are over or under 25 music montages? It does most the, of the heavy lifting in the story. There, there's like... Like within two minutes, there are two songs, like full, like wall to wall lyrics. And it's just like, when somebody loves you, everything was beautiful. And like uh-huh. slow mo watching them play on the beach. Uh-huh. Followed by like, I see trees of green. <laughs> yeah, it's looking, yeah. Um, and they're all covers too. He obviously uh-huh. couldn't afford the rights, but. It seems like he couldn't really afford much, seeing as how the uh, lighting and sound on this movie were as well. Right. That's it. Was his contri- contribution to the script just cutting out like fifty pages? Eh, we'll just cover this in a montage. We don't need. We don't need <laughs> any fucking talking. So, picture for the, regular the, folks. The whole thing looks like it's like uh, a dr- a dream within the TV show Seventh Heaven. Uh huh. All that over the top, like heavy lighting. It looks like it already takes place in the afterlife. Like everyone has like a fucking like halo of light around them. <laughs> yeah. They look like they're like suspended in a jar yeah. of urine. And it's funny that like uh-huh. a, a cup of what what's supposed to be urine makes an appearance later in the movie. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And Although it's that, glowing. And that whole flashback is, is is contingent upon us believing for a second that a fucking adult human being is drinking a big cup of apple juice. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, Bennett, what do you think are, what are some elements of um, Nick Cassavetti's style from what we've seen so far? What what are his trademark little buttons? Um, this, uh, the notebook kind of had this, this sort of aesthetic, not to nearly such a degree. Like, it's crazy how a film looks more poorly photographed, like, four years later. For, like, just the, the quality of the images looks bad because of how much, how, how overlit it is. Um, it, mm-hmm. I, I thought it was interesting, very much a mark of the artist in this film that he seems to have directed Jason Patrick to dress like him. Uh, a lot of backwards baseball caps. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's right? basically like watching Tom Brady. Uh-huh. He's yeah. got like a backwards world series hat and everything. Uh, yeah. Ugh. And he does nothing. He just sits around. He's just loafing being like, I love you. I love you, baby. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of like Alec Baldwin in this movie, though. He, um, I guess a trademark of his was just, and I, I, I know this isn't really a trademark style-wise. It's more of like something that someone would say on, you know, IMDb director's trademarks. But uh, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, obviously. Movie secrets. Uh, well, he obviously cast Jenna Rollins a lot, but obviously, I don't know, he seems to at least have a, a, a tangential interest in this sort of uh, fraught sort of uh, family tensions that uh, his father mined. It was it was touching in some parts, but in such a like a, a Zoloft commercial, uh, didn't. That's really... what it looked like. It shot like a fucking Zoloft commercial, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and Zoloft provided half expecting what's his face to be sitting in a tub and going like, you know, kids, leukemia is a shitty thing. 
I was expecting some fucking cartoon rain cloud to come by and go, you know what, folks? We get it. When depression hits, <laughs> it slaps. Oh, God. Oh, yo. Um, uh, what do you think of Cameron Diaz as uh, fake Jenna Rollins? Um, she's fine. But like you said, I mean, like, obviously people have been asking the question since since a woman under the influence came out. Like, does he do wrong by Jenna? Is he like unfair to Jenna? Is the character like, you know, written in such a way as to be like, you know, particularly, uh, I guess, anti-feminist. And um, I, mm. I, I don't know. Obviously, people will still be answering that question forever. I think this movie for sure does wrong by Cameron Diaz. I think of, you know, him like throwing her and that being resolved over like a oh montage. Oh my gosh, yeah. She can't, he really doesn't use the fact that she's Cameron Diaz. It just basically tries to make you forget that and just understand that she's like a crazy part. Her character is so in the background um, that when she does actually become a focal point, we're like, wait, who, what? Uh, yeah. what are their traits again? Like, what a waste of a full-blown movie star. You have her playing opposite fucking Jason Patrick, for Christ's sake. <laughs> <laughs> fucking dope. A guy scratching his crotch between every uh-huh. scene, obviously. <laughs> a guy like, who loosened his up his belt. <laughs> guy who's like fucking <laughs> knuckle deep in his nose because he forgot they said action. Yeah. Um, and then one more thing, like fucking imagine a judge... Just letting this dog and like someone in the fucking like gallery just run wild throughout like what's ought to be like what's gonna be like a precedent setting sort of a case. <laughs> Brothers oh like gosh. shouting. Yeah, Nick doesn't understand the that the movie plot device of people saying order in the court or uh, objection. He does. He just forgot that that was something you can do. And just has people basically shouting at each other, running around, bringing a fucking dog in the court named Judge. <laughs> I am. Um, I, I, I obviously my it's become such a cliche to the degree to which I hate dogs. But I not, I don't think there's anything that fascinates me more than the fact that you can like train a dog to detect the fact you're about to have a seizure. That's fucking nuts. That's crazy yeah, that stuff. Nuts. Why do I, why have they not made a documentary about this sort of thing? And I don't mean a cute documentary where the dog is doing fucking voiceover. I just want to know, like, <laughs> Frederick, I want to see Frederick Wiseman do a documentary about how you train fucking, like, service dog. <laughs> okay, moving on to A Woman Under the Influence. Yeah, this movie rolls. Five stars. Uh, I saw how you gave it a five star treatment. No, it's on only Letterboxd the 30th film. <laughs> yeah. It's very good. Um,. I found myself at the beginning, uh, I I had my notebook, but I didn't really write anything down until maybe like the last three quarters. And I don't think there, like you said, there were, you had trouble kind of figuring out things to say or making it into a sort of review or I didn't really, I wasn't really able to understand the relationships or what I was supposed to be paying attention to until about like halfway through when I was sitting with the characters and seeing how they reacted to different situations. Um, and even then I only had a few things to say because I don't know, it's just an experience. And, uh, I think a lot of the reviews that came out at the time that it was made were very, uh, one way or the other or, like liked it or disliked it pauline kale famously hated it really but she said a bunch of shit that just didn't um really involve what was going on in the movie Mm -hmm. did you have a similar experience um i so this is my second time watching it and i really liked it the first time um but i probably wasn't like paying close enough attention and this time i watched it and i i mean i truly found it just fucking enthralling and like gut-wrenching and um I don't know without without like staring directly into the head of my own penis like having seen I don't know so many like similar like episodes in my life in the time since the first time I watched it it's sort of like mm, all right I don't know it like sits differently yeah and I I, I have a I have a feeling I'm going to be watching it again sometime soon and I have a feeling it's going to become like one of those films for me that's like tough to shake but I'm watching like a lot uh like piece by piece yeah uh I mean <clears throat> I feel like both of the both Mabel and Nick sometimes in my family in that I am completely unable to deal with the shit that I'm faced with on a day to day being inside my own house. And um, 
Well, John Cassavetti says about being in a family situation like this, we can learn to live with these things in our families or we can avoid them by looking to the outside world and saying that things aren't going well or by using expressions like madness, etc. to describe them. Uh, I definitely deal with this. I have no tools to deal with the shit that goes on with the people close to me. Um, and I feel like that has a lot to do with a lot of the things that I've done in my life, just fucking avoiding it. I um, I wanted to read one um, Cassavetti's quote from Cassavetti's on Cassavetti's that I thought was uh, mm-hmm. was um, was pretty good. I hate control. I'm not a leader. I'm only happy where there's total confusion, where people function on their own level. My system is to create as much confusion as I possibly can. So the actors have the full knowledge that they're on their own. The idea of like leaving someone alone with their character like that, the refusing to be this sort of like dictatorial director that like both like the, the you know, that, that I don't know, film tradition and like all of like auteur theory is built on is so uh, it's such an intriguing idea. Yeah, I think uh, that scene with the party is a good idea of what it must be like to be just packed in that house and you know, the spaghetti scene, having all these people, you couldn't possibly direct all of them, but they're all making these faces at each other. Like, is this supposed to be actually fucking happening right now? Mm-hmm. And people giving Mabel looks, people giving Nick looks, giving each other looks. And there's so many, I watching that spaghetti scene again, I realize how many of those like weird gestures and looks and words that the people around them just kind of share with each other, are, like pasted in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's a that's based that is the sequence besides the very end that stuck out with me from the first time I watched it. It's such a fucking masterclass in just like coiled like tension and just fucking cringe comedy and just fucking uh just brilliant like unpredictable acting honestly. It it's it's as uncomfortable as the fucking dinner scene in Texas Chainsaw Massacre honestly. And you know what <laughs> you know what did it for me too? That's so many people What's at that, that table. So many fucking elbows and there's all those glasses of wine. Can you imagine the <laughs> amount they're fucking spilling? These guys have been up all night on some fucking construction oh site. God, now they're drinking yeah. ham. The, the one guy does spill. Yeah, the one guy. I don't even know how he does it. He literally like flips his whole plate in the air. <laughs> yeah. That scene when he's screaming at the dinner table and like all these people around trying to like, I don't know, be normal. It just feels really personal. Cassavetti says like, you know, you might not slap your wife in the face in front of your guests, but like you've done more hurtful things in front of other people to mm. your own family or like you can recount a situation where like something like that happens um, where you are just, you know, say something really cruel and you know how because this is a person in your family, like in front of other people mm-hmm. or the embarrassment of bringing bringing your friends around or something and. It's easy to think of these things as like a film student watching the movie and being like, well, you know, uh, I prescribe this societal definition onto Mabel, who should just get out, get, uh, dump the dump him. Uh-huh. Um, so that's that's actually something I really like about the film, and I think it I, I think it plays into um, Cassavetti's or not plays into it, it's it's consistent with Cassavetti's whole idea about leaving you leaving the actor kind of rudderless. Um, there's no diagnosis for Mabel. We get very the, the details insofar as we get them about her time at the institution are pretty scant, and mm-hmm. um, it it very deliberately cuts at um, her being like committed by their their, their friend the doctor. Um, it, it, movies about people who are like mentally disabled um, are often criticized for being sort of vague, like movies like The Village or like Forrest Gump, where you're, you know someone's mm-hmm. just kind of generally mentally disabled. They get a lot of flack with good reason. But I think, I don't know, I think with something like this, I think it, it, it so perfectly places you in the room because at the end of the day, like Mabel doesn't know what's wrong with her. Um you know, Nick doesn't know what's wrong with her. And I think most importantly, like, and by the end of the film, most sort of um, poignantly, her kids don't know what's wrong with her. And the end of the film really, I think, puts you at like the kid level far more than the first half. I think it probably starts with like the sequence of Peter Falk taking to the beach 
I think a lot mm. of that stuff in the back of the truck is shot basically from like the kid level. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about two like when he's like trying to like stop her at the end. Uh, he's mm-hmm. literally got the kids like hanging off of his arm. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think by refusing to give you an answer, he, he's sort of putting you, you know, right there, not knowing in there, not knowing. To talk about the depictions of like mental illness in movies it's just fucking appalling that we have nothing that's like and i don't give a fuck about representation but if you're gonna show something then do it the do it the 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 true way and not what what usually happens in a movie where someone's fucking schizophrenic or uh you know mentally ill or you know just has some type of issue it's like it's fucking what's that shithole fucking dumb uh, a beautiful mind we, beautiful mind i was gonna draw a comparison have, a minute yeah it, it gives the director an opportunity to do these fucking illustrious uh, hallucination scenes wait i gotta read you some shit okay so i guess ben foster was like the majorly uh method guy like the only serious actor on this. I can't say that. I'm sure they're very serious. I really like Amanda Seyfried and, uh, you know. Harry Dean Stanton, <laughs> legend, of course. HDR. <laughs> That's not the... <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so she, so Ben Foster said he needed to be the scene as realistic as possible. Got hit in the nose. Uh, to prepare for his... And, and Ben Foster is alone in doing all this. To prepare for his role in this movie, Ben Foster asked one of his friends, who is an ex-meth addict, for guidance. The friend introduced him to a group of people who gave Foster an all-access pass into their lifestyle. I guess just by doing meth. Doing meth. Uh, another one. Ben Foster risked his sight for the movie by adding glaucoma drops to his eyes for much of the shoot to dilate his pupils, making him appear to be high. It gets better. He'd hide in the bushes at night and cover his eyes in between takes to keep the lights from shining into them. He would also talk to director-writer Nick Cassavetes with his eyes closed. Yeah, I I, I don't like that. (laughs) I... Husbands, on the other hand, good. Oh. I don't know if I like it more than faces, though. I don't either. Not that that's how we should be thinking about these films, like how we should rank them. (laughs) Let's grade them all from A to Z. Um, This is an A, much like the last (laughs) three. (laughs) Uh, I don't really... I have no idea what they're talking about at any point. I had to put on subtitles because John and Peter mumble so much. Oh my God. They're just, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Like when we were talking about this, we were talking about how they're both such different actors and then Gazera and like, I don't know if it's like a stage training thing, but Gazera makes a point to like really over enunciate and he's very like, theatrical in the way his character presents it's himself. fine it's everything's on, everybody <laughs> and they both they, they do nothing to kind of modulate their voice they'll either yell or whisper to each other just kind of mumble uh-huh the antics in this movie we we've we've long talked about how much we love movies about shit boys how much we love uh-huh. movies that really um truly captured antics and um you know, Cassavetti's faces and shadows are two contenders for the greatest ever uh, evocation of that. Mm, I think this yeah. beats them both in terms of true this, shit boyery. I I can't believe like without even um, I feel like it's one of the few movies that will is able to exp- just show what it's like to be in that state, or I mean, just express like a friendship in that uh, in that way without any words that make any sense. So you're basically just Cassavetes finds a way to get people to act out just fucking around um, and being shitheads. That is the funniest scene I've ever seen in my entire life. The 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 fucking the, as they're riding the train like into work. Oh, that train into work is so good too. Cassavetes oh, likes to so sing and immediately drops it down his front, and like, <laughs> smoking it like backwards. He, uh, He's got one of cinema's great shit-eating grins. Oh. 
He's laughing so hard his forehead is like about to burst. <laughs> Split, yeah. Gazara says something to him like, "You stick your fingers in people's mouths all day long, and look at your fucking fingernails." And then they like smash cut to Cassavetes. Oh no, he starts like sticking his fingers in his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> he goes starts going like, "Oh." <laughs> And then they basically smash cut to him as like a fucking dentist, and Falk is still there screaming in his ear like fucking Igor. <laughs> well, like, well, Cassidy is trying to like, look at someone's mouth, and the person whose mouth he's supposed to look at is like cracking up laughing because she's nervous about going to the dentist. Like every every opportunity for there to be fucking chaos in this is taken like when they're going up to the uh hotel room and the two bellboys are helping them in and ben gazar is just giving them like the dirtiest fucking looks just for helping them into their room like even in these in-between scenes of them like walking in the hallway there's this like extreme tension for no reason because these guys are so fucking out of their mind insecure and like at sea in their emotions well, I, so I, I think a perfect example of the insecurity is that the first bar scene when they're all like mm. they're they're having that almost they've almost turned it into a contest. This sort of singing they're all doing, and they keep mm-hmm. insisting on authenticity, like make it more real, make it more real. From that one woman, it's I, I feel like that insistence on authenticity is such a uh, such a um, such a dead giveaway about how fucking insecure they 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 all are about what frauds they are, uh, both both as like husbands and as like these you know guys who can go out and like on a bender for four days well that's true yeah and then they 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 don't they themselves don't do any of the performance but their performance is in like judging everybody being like the arbiter of this situation and then shortly after in the bathroom that's when peter falk is like you're a phony to ben gazara and like he freaks the fuck out and it's like you know they're not laying anything on the line they're not saying anything about how they feel they're just kind of like trying to do everything except that um you know expressing their in the middle of nowhereness. Half of the cast of this movie is those people. The people who like could not pass up an opportunity to do some sort of fucking fake newscast. That's literally <laughs> everything. <laughs> Can I say I haven't seen this movie, but it was twelve ninety nine on Amazon. Yeah, I bought it. I fucking had to buy it. <laughs> I... Wait, you didn't I rented it on YouTube. You guys you can't rent it on Amazon? You can't rent it. Didn't it didn't give me the option. Oh, I, I rented I it on, on my, YouTube. I was on my TV. I don't want to go to my fucking computer. Did you buy it? No, you didn't buy it even either. I would not. I don't think any version of this. I think a signed version by Denzel Washington and all the cast would not be worth twelve ninety nine. Um, Just based on viewing the trailer and sort of reading about it. I liked how in the trailer, Eddie Griffin was in it for about. Oh, yeah. He's got like his fingers. Griffith or Griffin? Uh, Griffin. Uh, Gryffindor! Ha! Ten points! <laughs> Ten points to Gryffindor! Ah, uh, yes. Where's my blankie, Mr. Potter? <laughs> yeah. uh, Game of Thrones? Ah, just kidding. Um, <laughs> Game over! Memorable moment. I actually, okay. Uh, just totally dead sober announcement here. I Last night, I was taking out the trash at work, and I stepped in a huge log of human shit while it was raining out was that one of your patrons uh it was it's a guy that has smoked drugs in our bar bathroom that we had to kick out and he's just been milling around outside and i'm i guarantee he was the one that shit right outside (laughs) and i just stepped in it and i was like that's not that's not regular solid ground it's like oh that's a it's like a corny human shit. Awkward. <laughs> Were you at least wearing your steel toe boots? I was wearing my boots, but uh, didn't do much to hide the smell. Well, I pity you almost as much as I pity Ben Gazzara and the killing of the Chinese book. Which <laughs> I, I think that's my, my favorite thing about this movie is how much you pity his character. I, I mean, it's just such a sad poor bastard it comes across so so clearly and so effectively uh i knew i was gonna love this movie just about right off the bat as soon as i think it's right after he pays off the gambling debt he like looks out he goes out and he looks over at some woman and he goes like i got a golden life uh I got a golden like, life uh, i knew i was gonna love it it's it's true it's i mean 
I think all of Cassavetti's movies, and I'll even say this about the one uh, Nick Cassavetti's film that's really trying say to ape, ape John. Uh, they, there's always such like a, a level of empathy for these sort of like groups of, of, of misfits. I think it reaches kind of its pinnacle here. I... Oh, sorry. Bennett. Do, do my mic pick that up? Yeah, definitely. Oh, right on. Uh, I would like to say that this movie really, uh, really kind of sh- struck me with its cinematography and uh, like it seemed very calculated and certain scenes seemed to be shot in a very specific way in order to capture certain things while there was uh, a, a, like a lot of variables with like people moving around and the camera moving like there are in faces and like blurry faces, people moving too fast. There were, there did seem to be a lot of calculated scenes, especially the way the uh, actual shooting was shot where you're just seeing Ben in different place, different static shots of him moving through dark, the dark, and you don't mm-hmm. understand what the layout of this building is. Um, you don't understand what what this place he's in, all the people that are in it, wh- how he's moving in relation to other people, if he's going to be caught, which like makes it you know, more suspenseful and everything, but also puts you in the position of him where he doesn't really see anything other outside of this and he's reacting at every moment to like what's in front of him which uh i would just like to say is very similar to the movie the man escaped by brisson which has a shot of the, him escaping the prison at the end and all you see is just him moving through space in a static frame and it's like like ben gazara says at the end of the movie you get put in a stressful situation and you know you become this different type of person you just you're just reacting you're just you can't perform in that situation. He's dead silent, but and it's just it's like a different person or something. He's only dedicated to this task. And uh the way it's shot kind of reflects that like, okay, I'm in this shot now, what what can I do? That monologue he gives at the end, uh, backstage, I almost fucking started crying. I, I really thought it was so good and mm-hmm. It speaks to the degree to which, uh, I mean, you talk about how he never breaks character in this movie at all, how it's such a consistently painted character. And I think it's because Cosmo, whoever the fuck Cosmo is, is always playing Cosmo, the the, mm-hmm. the nightclub owner. Mm-hmm. And at, at, toward the end of the film, he says something backstage like, what is he like? I'm only happy when I'm angry or when I'm sad <laughs> or when I'm, I'm acting the, the fool, when I'm being mm-hmm. what other people want me to be instead of who I am. And that's a lot of work <laughs> or something like that. Like, <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah. Like he's, he's so mortified of being himself that he has to keep like a straight face when he's bleeding to death. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, showed that scene to Annie and then she was like, is he, is he dying or something? I was like, yeah, there was a bullet in him the entire time. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's just the extreme example of what we talked about in all of these Cassavetti's films. You know, people people pretending what's happening right in front of them isn't happening. People trying to like move on in spite of these you know tectonic fucking shifts going on <laughs> in their life. Um, I mean, this is this at its most extreme example, right? A, a guy with a bullet in his side exactly. trying to carry out his chintzy nightclub show. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, such commitment. I, yeah. The cinematography, also what you were saying, Shane, it made me remember these uh, just cold, rainy shots of L.A. outside it, uh, when, when uh-huh. he's trying to get his car to start up or when he's out of the taxi in like a phone booth or whatever. It, it just makes it look so lonely and, and so kind of decrepit. Um, it really captures a mood that reflects his characters just being totally alone in, in his passion. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it's very well compliments that. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like the, uh, this, the warehouse at the end when he's being chased by the guy with the gun and it's just, you know, this is the opposite of like the city as a character in the movie. It seems like John has stripped away any idea that you're in LA or like, you're just in his world or you're in this kind of world that these gangsters have created. Um, and I think John is really wise to just strip everything away, throw them in a warehouse. And they're just in these different like colored rooms 
um, mm -hmm. that they're just kind of performing in, similar to when Ben Gazar goes on stage for like a moment and he's just drenched in red light and there's like a spiral staircase behind him, totally alone. It's just like, God, this guy is so consumed by this facade that he's created. Like, you know, he's dying for it and it doesn't, like, what is there there? There's, like, you know, he has a girlfriend, and he has, like, Mr. Sophistication, which, my favorite of all John Cassavetti's characters, I think. I think I've think i never felt character. so reflected. <laughs> the, the, the entirety of this movie as sort of, like, it seems like it's kind of only for us, the people that have been watching his stuff the whole time with bated breath and really adoring it. Um and like the few people that actually appreciate it maybe not so few uh it was f kind of for them like all the scenes in his house with the paintings that we've seen throughout all the movies the staircase yes the staircase the same shots from the staircase the kitchen from faces where seymour cassell once tried to revive uh that woman <laughs> whoever she was from faces the wife with like the coffee and shit, the same bathroom. It was just kind of like my friend when we watched it years ago was like it's like watching the last episode of like your favorite TV show or something. Like John's really giving us all the nods to kind of his uh -huh. previous lives that have taken place in this house that he's mortgaged like five different times to pay for all the movies. At, at the same time, without pandering at all. You know, without taking the steps that a lesser filmmaker, like, not to shit on his son, but a filmmaker mm. like his son would, would yeah. rely on. Or like most, you know, directors and producers of sitcoms would actually rely on. I dream of genie with light brown hair. Born like a vapor on the summer air. I hear her melody like joy's gone by sighing round my heart in the fond hopes that guide sighing like the night will and sobbing like the day wailing for the lost ones the love i loved in vain i dream of genie and my heart bows low evermore to find her in the dawn's sweet glow in the dawn's sweet glow. Oh, hey, I just got back. 